So I don't know if you caught this story or not, but a few weeks ago, there was this crazy story that came across the news. Even in the midst of all the other craziness that's been going on in the world, this one stuck out. There was a software programmer in San Francisco who has $220 million worth of Bitcoin. So 7,002 of them, uh, they were actually given to him years and years ago by somebody when they were worth barely anything. They're now worth $220 million. But the security key to get access to this Bitcoin is on a secured, password-protected hard drive that he has. And that hard drive gives you 10 chances to guess the password. Only 10. And then it permanently encrypts itself and everything on it is lost to you forever. He's guessed eight times because the piece of paper that he'd written the password down when he created this whole thing like 10 years ago is lost. Can you imagine having $220 million just that close but so far away and only two more guesses at your password? Can you imagine? Losing stuff stinks whether it's losing your phone, your wallet, your wedding ring, your children. Losing stuff stinks. It's a terrible feeling to have to search and search. It's a feeling we all understand, and that's part of the reason why the joy of finding those things again is something we so often want to share and talk about. Uh, There's a story I used to ask my dad to tell of a time he lost his wallet in Texas and had flown home and discovered he didn't have it, only to track it back eventually to the taxi service, to call, find out someone had found it and turned it in. They mailed it to him and everything was still in it. As a child, I loved that story of something so lost, so far away that was found and returned And I'm sure you have a story as well of something you found that you thought was lost forever. Or at some point in your life, you've run up or called or texted a friend and said, you'll never believe it, I found it. And that universal experience of having lost something important and finding it again is what gives Jesus' parable this morning so much of its power. The heartache of losing something and the joy of finding it. It's one of the reasons this parable is one of Jesus' most popular. It's the parable of lost things. So I want to invite you to pray with me, and then we'll listen in to what Jesus has to say. Lord, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Jesus our single concern. Amen. Do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book that we love. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. And the Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. 
And when he arrives home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and says, Celebrate with me because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Or what woman who owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. And soon after, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. And there he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he'd used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him out into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him and hugged him and kissed him and Then the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly bring one of the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was out in the field. And coming in from the field, he approached the house and he heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. And the servant replied, your brother has arrived. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in. But his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, look, I've served you all these years. I've never disobeyed your instruction. 
Yet you've never given me and my friends so much as a young goat that we could celebrate. But when this son of yours has returned, after gobbling up your estate with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. His father said, son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Jesus is such a masterful storyteller, isn't he? I'm struck by this with all of these parables, but especially this one. It's such a good story that Jesus weaves together here. And in fact, my main goal for today is just to not screw up Jesus' story. So let's see how I do. The reason Jesus tells this story is because some Pharisees were grumbling, murmuring, mumbling, One of the really well-documented things about Jesus is that he tends to hang out with all the wrong people. And in an honor-shame culture, who you hang out with matters, and who you share a table with matters even more. But Jesus continues to just flaunt these social conventions, eating and drinking with sinners. And the really religious people who've been following him start grumbling about it. So Jesus tells this parable. And in each story that's a part of that parable, something's lost. In the first one, it's a sheep. One out of a hundred wanders off into the wilderness and is lost. In the second story, it's a coin. Now, coins can't wander away like sheep do. They can't lose themselves. So it's misplaced, but it's gone all the same. And to make matters worse, it's probably this woman's dowry, which is meant to provide for her in the event her husband dies. So she's horrified, not just because of the value that's lost, but the shame of it all. How could you lose something so valuable? How could you lose something so important? You can't lose that. Come on. It'd be like losing a passport or a wedding ring or your Bitcoin password. (laughs) And then in the third story, it's a son that's lost. The younger son asks for his inheritance while his father is still alive, a massive slap in the face. The father, for some reason, obliges, splits their land in, uh, between the two sons. The younger son sells his off, takes the money, and runs. Ends up blowing it off in a foreign country in extravagant living, it says. And when a famine comes, he's left to resort to the worst possible job a Jew could take on, and he ends up feeding pigs on someone else's farm. He's lost to his father. He's lost to his community that he's abandoned and disgraced. And he's lost even to himself. In each story, something is lost. But in each story, something's also found, and that's the power of these stories. The shepherd so values that one sheep that he leaves the 99 behind in the pasture by themselves and searches high and low for the one lost sheep in the wilderness. With little hope, he'll ever find it, let alone find it alive. But 
He does. And when he does, he puts it on his shoulders and returns home with joy. The woman, too, searches for the lost coin. She doesn't hide in the shame of it all, pretending she didn't lose it or assuming that it'll show up someday. She sets about the task diligently and meticulously searching for that lost coin. And she, too, finds it. In the third story, things are admittedly more complex. But the son, too, is found. He himself comes to his senses. He finds himself. He decides to go home and apologize to his father for all he's done, seeking a role as a hired hand. He makes the long, grueling journey home. And the father hasn't been searching the way that the shepherd and the woman were searching, but it's clear that he's been waiting and watching. He's eyeing the horizon and sees his son approaching while he's still far off, somehow recognizes him at even that distance and runs out to meet him before the son can even come to him. He goes out to find him on the road. And culturally, it would have been shameful for a man of that age to ever run, but he takes that shame on to go and hug and kiss and welcome his son back. The son has that rehearsed apology ready to go, but he doesn't even get through all of it before the father interrupts, draping a robe across his shoulders, placing the family ring upon his finger, sandals on his feet, welcoming him back home to the family that he disowned and disgraced and had no hope of ever rejoining. The lost son, too, is found. And just like in our lives, when something important is lost and then found, joy and celebration are in order. Joy and celebration that spill over into others as we share that joy together. The shepherd gets the sheep back to the fold and goes out to invite friends and neighbors to come and celebrate. I found the lost sheep. The woman does the same when she finds the lost coin, inviting friends and neighbors to celebrate. I found the lost sheep. And the father does the same thing. They slaughter the fattened calf and a feast is planned that very evening because his son, he says, was dead and has been brought back to life, was lost and is found. And at each of those transitions, Jesus pauses to say, the same is true in heaven when even one sinner changes both heart and life. That is, repents. In fact, there's more joy in heaven over the one who repents than over 99 who have no need of it. There's rejoicing and celebrating among the angels when what is lost is found. So we would presume, why is Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and eating with them? Because these are the lost children of Israel. Some have wandered away. Some have gotten lost due to the actions of others. Some have disgraced the family. But they're being found. They're returning home. They're repenting and changing their hearts and lives as they hear Jesus. They're coming back. And Jesus says, we need to celebrate. And that right there is probably where we'd expect him to finish the parable. That's probably where the Pharisees expected him to be done as he was telling three stories. The Pharisees were grumbling that he's eating and drinking with sinners. And here's the answer why. Because the lost are being found. So stop grumbling. Come and rejoice with me and the angels in heaven, we'd expect Jesus to say. 
and the scene to close. But it turns out Jesus wasn't telling a story about why he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus has a different point in mind. And Jesus is the master of what Eugene Peterson calls telling it slant. He lures them in with these three stories of lost things that are found. And they think all along he's talking about those awful lost sinners over there. Until at the end, Jesus flips the tables. The story wasn't building to the prodigal son. The story continues to build to something else that's lost. The older brother comes in from the field, hears the music and the dancing in the house, asks the servant what's going on, finds out his brother's returned and his father has gone to these extravagant lengths to welcome him back in. And he is furious. He refuses to go into the house and instead sits out in the darkness grumbling. His father hears about it and leaves the party, defying the customs of hospitality, taking more shame upon himself. He comes out into the darkness to find his son and beg him to come into the party. The son is lost. There's a search. And then Jesus just ends cutting off the rhythm we've been expecting right in the middle. The sheep was lost. The shepherd searched and found it. There was a celebration. The coin was lost. The woman searched and found it, and there was a celebration. The younger son was lost. There was searching and finding and a celebration. The older son is lost. The father searches. Will he be found? Will he come into the party? And leaving the story open-ended here, Jesus invites the Pharisees into it. Wait, is he talking about us? Is he saying we're lost too? Yes. The point of the parable wasn't to justify Jesus eating and drinking with sinners, but it's to help the Pharisees see that they are lost too. They just hadn't left. They thought they were part of the 99 righteous ones who had dutifully stayed. But there are no 99. They're lost too, lost in their own self-righteousness and self-salvation. These were the really religious people of the day. These were the ones who boasted that they had never disobeyed God's instruction, Torah, They were the ones who had it all together, who believed all the right stuff, who did all the right things, who lived the right way. They were going to quite an effort to make sure it was so and everyone else knew it. Of course they're going to grumble that Jesus is having it up with all the sinners they've been looking down their noses at for years. These people can't just do whatever they want, living disgraceful and disobedient lives, and then turn around at the last minute and expect to be welcomed with open arms. They might say, we're not going to throw them some party because they're finally doing 10% of what the rest of us have been doing all along. They don't deserve it. Of course, Jesus says, who can deserve any of it? It's never been about deserving it. But the Pharisees were too lost. 
They made their relationship with God all about obedience and about transactional righteousness, earning it and what they deserved, what was theirs and how they wanted it to be. But the younger son at the party that night understood his father's love in a way that his brother, who had worked shoulder to shoulder with their father years, never did. And it's not because the younger son ran away, and it's not because the father loved him more. It's because the younger son accepted that love and needed that love. By always putting on the mask of the obedient, have-it-all-together son, the older son has robbed himself of the opportunity to taste the true depths of his father's love. God has never said, get it all together and then come to me. God says, come home. And the deeper our sin and brokenness and need, the deeper we will find God's love and grace goes. Running into the field to meet us while we're still far off, to welcome us back with hugs and kisses, coming out even into the darkness to beg us to come back in and be found, to join the celebration Jesus is such a masterful storyteller. He's weaving these four simple stories together in order to draw us in and now force upon us this simple question. Where am I in that story? Because I believe all of us are in these stories somewhere. So where are you? Are you the sheep? that keeps wandering away only to find yourself found again? Are you the coin, misplaced somehow, but lost all the same, not sure how you got where you are, and wondering what it would even be to be found? Are you living the high life in the foreign land with no cares or concerns in the world? Or are you feeding pigs in the muck, wondering if you could go home and how? Are you the waiting parent, waiting and scanning the horizon for some sign, some hint, for anything at all to tell you your child is okay somewhere as you hope against hope that they might someday return? Are you the younger son, returned, that you fell and fell hard, but somewhere along the way you found Jesus and you're still dancing in the party? Or maybe like Jesus' first followers, you've been tracking really well with me so far this morning. And you've developed a pretty comprehensive list of who everyone else in your life is in this story but are resistant to the idea that you might be in a story of lost things. Because like the older brother, you've been here all along. You've done things the right way. You have it all together and follow the rules. 
So why do you always feel like you're on the outside looking in at the Jesus party? And why does it feel so exhausting to keep up with all of it? Wherever you find yourself in this parable, please, please, please see that the story is not about the prodigal son and his sinful life and his dramatic conversion. And the story is not about the older brother and his stubborn self-righteousness and entitlement. This is a story about the shepherd and the woman and the father. It's a story about the God who heads out into the wilderness to find what is lost. About the God who lights a lamp and sweeps the house meticulously until it is found. Who runs out to meet us while we are still far off. Who heads out into the darkness to meet our stubborn self-righteousness and beg us to come in. It's the story of the God who is love. The God who finds us valuable enough to leave everything behind and come to find us. The God who suffers our shame to find us in our sin and welcome us home. The God who stands begging us, come into the party. Tim Keller once wrote, If you want God's grace, all you need is need, is nothing at all. Come home. Confess that you too are lost. Take off your striving and pretending. Repent. Turn around. Be found. And come to the party. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.